0: We are continuing in our closer, growing closer to God series today with part one of Faith is a Feast. Part one, that's a sermon today. Faith is a Feast. God wants to be much more for you than most people will allow him. God wants to be the heart of your heart, the source of your life, your blessing, your nourishment. God wants to be infinitely more than most people will even begin to let him. Most folks are inclined to, even if they say they believe in God, keep God at a distance. Put God over in the corner of five minutes here, an hour there, occasionally here, but not really involved. Okay? God, though, is so much more, and he is the source of true joy, lasting joy. God can change your life. God can change you. God can make you new in Christ. God can give you eternal grace. It's just incredible what he offers us. He offers us one way of talking about this metaphorically and spiritually in the Bible is that God offers us a banquet. In fact, when we talk about being reunited with Jesus, one of the ways this is talked about is celebrating at The banquet, the festival, the wedding feast of the Lamb, who is Jesus. So he offers us a garden of delight. Unfortunately, most people are inclined to, no, I don't want the banquet. I'm just going to grab this junk food that's easy for me, and I think I can grab it and control it. Or let me steal one piece of fruit from the one tree I'm not supposed to eat from, and that makes me feel powerful, and that's what I want. So here's the question that I want us to be considering and you to be considering spiritually as God calls us to grow closer to him. Is it gonna be famine or feast for you? I mean, it can be feast, but most people go with famine and starving themselves spiritually and personally. A lot of marriages, a lot of families go that direction. What's it gonna be for your marriage? for your children, for your grandchildren? Famine or feast? Feast or famine? We live in a world that is full of war and famine. Now, That's actually physically, literally true. And those two things are often, and they are right now, connected. What is happening in Ukraine and elsewhere affects food supplies throughout the world and is threatening a growing wave of famine in Africa, for instance, right now, okay? But this is also a spiritual matter. We live in a world that is full of spiritual warfare and issues of spiritual famine, okay? In the midst of this, as we, as you and I, Basically, with our life and with the direction we take, with ourselves and with our households, decide, is it going to be feast or famine for us? I want you to know this basic news. Faith is the true and satisfying feast. Faith is a feast. A feast. Um, now, we're going to go to this slide. I have this visual, a couple of visuals for you today. Faith is not like a lot of people, even people who have grown up, so to speak, Christian, and even some churchgoers and definitely people who don't go to church, who stay away from church, except when they absolutely have to because they think, well, if I don't go this time, I'm going to be a bad person. Faith in God is not forcing down horrible tasting medicine or cod liver oil. You see my little guy right there? That's, it's not like, well... God, yeah, I know, honey, I know God is mean and tough, and it's boring, and church is boring, and the Bible's boring, but you have to take your little dose, just do a little dose, force it down, hold your nose, uh, you know, do a little version of faith, Uh, so let's make sure you have an eternal insurance policy, and then you can go on and have fun with the rest of your life, as long as you get in the dose, that is not paid. Faith instead is a feast. Let's go to the next visual. I want you to see believing in the Lord, feasting on him. This is what it means. To believe on the Lord means to feast on him and on his means of grace for his church. You can write down, you know, I've got these outlined for you in the notes here for the sermon notes. And if you're watching online, these are available with the bulletin online. Faith or believing is Feasting. Feasting. I mean, no, no, no little nibble here or there. Feasting on the Lord and feasting on his means of grace, which now brings us to our opening passage of Scripture today. We're going to be looking at several passages of Scripture today. But the key passage is going to be from Psalm 34, a Psalm of David, a Thanksgiving Psalm of David that blends into wisdom and salvation teaching from David. By God's word, okay? Psalm 34. This is the psalm of David, the crazy fugitive, and his testimony of God, his Savior's deliverance. That's what this psalm is. That's what the superscription tells us. That um, this is a psalm of David when he pretended to be insane. Or when he changed his behavior oddly before Abimelech, uh, the, the king of Gath, who, who drove David away, and so he let David escape when David was in trouble, when people were turning on David, because David was on the run from Saul. And then all of a sudden, the Philistines said, don't you realize who this guy is? This is the greatest warrior of the Israelites, and you've got him in your, in your household? Akish or Abimelech, are you crazy? We need to take this guy out. And so David acted crazy, and that was his way out that God inspired him on. So... Let's turn to the several verses in on this psalm. Psalm 34, verses eight through 10. Hear now God's word. David says this, it's an incredible command and invitation. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Oh, fear the Lord, you his saints. For those who fear him have no lack, no want. The young lions suffer want, suffer lack and hunger. But those who seek the Lord lack want, no good, no good, no good thing. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Friends, the grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of our God will stand forever. Amen. Uh, what's a sure sign of people who've actually tasted and enjoyed a certain kind of food, whether it's a new fresh fruit crop that's in, or uh, a particular dish or recipe, or maybe even a new restaurant, or, or a long standing restaurant that cooks in a particular style? What's a sure sign that the person has not just read about it online, but they've actually imbibed and enjoyed? I mean, been all in on this they tell other people about it right oh man you've got this can you believe the way these raspberries taste can you believe this recipe you've got to you won't believe the way my wife cooks this dish it's incredible if you've tasted and experienced that something is good you're going to tell others about it right that's the best advertising for a restaurant right word of mouth from people who not just say well i've heard about it and i've heard that that kind of cuisine is kind of interesting would you go based on that no, but if somebody says, I ate there last night and it was awesome, then you may go, right? Friends, family. In fact, if somebody is really, really enjoying something, they will not only tell friends and family, they will tell even complete strangers. They'll definitely tell their neighbor that they never talk to normally. You know, you've got to go this, or you've got to try this. In fact, they will, so to speak in a way of speaking, tell the world. And speaking of social media or otherwise, they will post it. They will tell about it, right? It's, this is great. Uh, Not just gourmands, though, this doesn't just happen with gourmands, this also happens with uh, people who experience something in life, like sometimes when people have their first baby, they say, this is more awesome than I could have ever imagined. Olivia? Uh, You got to tell her, Brian. Olivia, this is going to be even greater. I I love lately hearing from grandparents, several grandparents in our congregation who said, I thought it was going to be cool being a grandparent, but I had no idea how awesome it is. This is the greatest thing I've ever experienced in my life. They tell me about it. Their praise is fetching, winsome, and exuberant, right? This is what it is with people. Of course, this is pointing us to the real story here. People who actually know and live in Jesus Christ cannot help but exude praise and invitation to other people. I'm not getting into judging anybody's salvation or not, but I guarantee you this, anybody who has spent any significant time with Jesus in the last week is gonna be telling others about their experience this week. I just guarantee it. Like people who are actually in love with Jesus Tell others about Jesus and tell others about what he's doing in their life. Marriages, you know, where where people are actually born anew and living in the spirit of Jesus. Jesus just, you know, he's, he's part of the central to the conversation. If not, we've at least got a serious spiritual issue that needs to be looked at speaking of growing closer to God. People who genuinely know the Lord. Praise the Lord and and, and invite others to praise the Lord and to know the Lord and experience the fullness of what they've experienced, which is exactly what David does in Psalm 34. This fascinating psalm. I'm just going to hit a few highlights from this testimonial song of Thanksgiving. It's one of a number of testimonial songs of Thanksgiving that David lays out for us. In fact, a number of these are clustered in book one of the Psalter. Okay. And and, and this is in book one of the Psalter. Psalm 34, the crazy fugitive David and his testimony about his Savior, the Lord. Now, you can read about the context that the superscription gives us over in 1 Samuel chapter 21, when David gets to the point where he's got to flee from Saul. And where does he go for refuge immediately? He goes to the arch enemies of the Israelites, the Philistines. And he's a a valiant warrior, so he's hanging out in the court of a king named Achish, uh, 1 Samuel tells us. In the Psalm superscription, he's called Abimelech, which is just like a title that means, my daddy, my father is the king, okay? So it's like a title. Uh, And then the personal name is Achish. But David acts crazy. That's the way it's typically translated. If you look at the ESV, the translation is changed his behavior. Now, all of this, of course, looking at this psalm just a little bit, heading into uh, this, this past week, heading into this Sunday, poked my interest. And I look back, and, and you know the term that's, that's used there is that, uh, the, the phrase that's used there is that David doubled back on, basically. David doubled back on his tamo. Now, tam in Hebrew means like flavor, okay, or taste, literally. It can also mean behavior. So what's going on here? You know when people say that left a bad taste in my mouth or a good taste? Or you might say, um, yeah, Joe over there, he's kind of an odd flavor of a person. Well, David apparently, you know, either I, you know, something happened where he changed his flavor, his presentation is going on. The reason I'm highlighting this for you is this is the same term that is our key term in verse eight, taste. And see, it's the verb form of this, but it's the same kind of thing, right? It's it's, it's, it's the the, am. okay? So the taste is the, and here's the thing that God is going to be saying to you. His taste is always consistent and always good. I'll come back to that, right? So David changed his flavor, his behavior before the Philistine king. So the king kicked him out, which was an escape route for David in the situation. He's going to get killed if he stayed uh, with the Gattites. Now, David goes on in Psalm 34, and he says this, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise will always be on my lips. So he's going to praise the Lord. And then he proceeds to testify to the Lord's goodness. But here's the thing I want you to hear. True faith and faithfulness is never just secret and silent. True faith always is exuberant publicly. Okay? and that's the way David is that's the way we learn from the psalms it's not just something well he went into his prayer closet and said it or he didn't he didn't ruffle any feathers out there politically you know because it's kind of awkward to talk about god but david like in his own prayer closet praised god that's not what this says he is publicly proclaiming this praise and then he's inviting everybody else to know god and publicly praise god as well so david testifies to his own experience in verses 4 through 7 continuing, but he's inviting back to verse 2 of Psalm 34. He invites the humble to know God and to trust in God. It's an interesting turn of phrase there. What he means is not the people who are wise in their own eyes and think they've got it together, but people who are willing to be humble before the Lord will come to the Lord, okay? So he invites the humble to join in this great opportunity of salvation and praise. And then, you see, I've got it marked out in the, in the intro notes here for you. Psalm 34, verse 8, the first part. We get the command. We get the command. I think I've got slides for you for this as well. We get the command, taste and see that the Lord is good. Now, see my, my summary there. The proof is in the pudding, right? The proof is in actually tasting and seeing that the Lord is good. And, and while we've got that up there, let me just point out to you, I've already talked about taste and see, that means to know, to experience. But what I want to say is the Lord is, and the the word there, good, it's a word that you really need to know, okay? So I'm gonna give you a little more Hebrew here, tov. Now, all the way back to when God creates everything in Genesis chapter one, after God creates something, what does it say? And God saw it, by the way, okay? He saw it and it was what? Tov, good, okay. Who's the ultimate standard of good and source of all good? God. Who always tastes good? Whose flavor is always good? You can totally count on it. Now, in your best times, in your worst times, and in the eternity, who's always good? Taste and see that the Lord is good. And then uh, the second half of 34, 8, the second half of this verse is the beatitude. Blessed is the gewehr who takes refuge in him. Now, we're supposed to be catching this little sequence. If you know the Psalms, just let me take you through this. Psalm 32, opening verse, right? Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven. That's Psalm 32. The middle of Psalm 33, blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. Okay, y'all hearing these three Beatitudes? There's a trio here, okay? Blessed is the man whose sin transgression is forgiven. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. And now, David says, these are all David's psalms. The trio is here, right? Blessed is the Gever who takes refuge in him. Now, I'm highlighting that one for you, too, because I want you to catch this. This is not just like the word ish, like a general word or another general Hebrew word. There are a couple of them for men, for a man. A Gever, okay? is a word that is used in some cases to tell you how many fighting men Israel has. Okay, Gavarim, okay. So these are people who are mature men. And spiritually, what that means is this. This is, you know the way a teenager is inclined to follow after all his or her impulses and emotions all the time? Follow your heart, right? (laughs) Wherever it takes you in the immediate moment. A mature overcomer learns, by God's grace, self-control, and is actually ready for either a physical battle or spiritual warfare. Do you hear what I'm saying? So this Gaver term actually means, it comes from the, the verb gavar, that means to overcome. This is an overcomer kind of person, okay? Gavaret, ladies, for you, okay? Same, same kind of term, gavaret, okay? So blessed is the overcomer, I mean, the serious person, who takes refuge not in himself and not in anything else but in the Lord. I mean, that, that, that is a true spiritual warrior. That's a valiant man or woman, okay? That's, that's who the blessing falls upon. Now, let's develop that with our three responses. Number one, faith takes action. Faith acts. Christians feast on the Lord. Taste and see that the Lord is good, Right? Well, I may get around to it sometime. I know it's supposed to be good, but, you know, I'm really busy right now. Or I may just take a little nibble. That's kind of what I do at church on Sunday. I just kind of take a little nibble. But, I'm, you know, remember, God made you as a nephesh, a living soul. What do we know about nefesh? This means you're an open throat to be filled by God, God's spirit, and the living water of God. That, that's, that's the term, literally, you know, Physically that's used for who we are as people, we are nefeshim, we're souls, open throats to be filled. Now, yeah, you can fill your soul with junk food, with spiritual junk food, with bad stuff. There's a lot of stuff on the internet, there's a lot of stuff on cable, there's a lot of stuff you can experience in all kinds of ways. I bet there was stuff last night going on at one o'clock that probably was not bountiful spiritual food going on, okay? What are you gonna fill your soul with? See, faith is more than just head knowledge. You remember that James says, even the demons believe in God and they shudder. I mean, it doesn't mean anything to know and believe that there's a God. The devil totally believes that there's a God. He's not saved, though, because of that. So, so what's the difference? The difference is to move from shuddering to delight. Psalm 37, David says, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Your desires are not the problem. The question is how you direct them. Now, by the way, in that same psalm, back to the Gever term, the overcomer term, it says also in the middle of that psalm that God will not, it's typically translated man, it is in the ESV, but God will not, even if a gever, even if an overcomer stumbles, God will still have his hand. God will not let him die. God will not let him die eternally. God will sustain the overcomer who delights in the Lord. Those two, those verses go together. Now, here's what it means to be a Christian and a growing Christian. First Peter chapter two, verses two and three. And you're going to hear the echo from Psalm 34, verse eight. Like newborn infants, there you see it, right? long for the pure spiritual milk, not the junk food, the pure spiritual milk, so that you may grow up into salvation. If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. Psalm 34, you, you hearing that? If indeed you have tasted, if you actually have taken of the milk. I mean, James Hebrews elsewhere talks about people who who have kind of tasted physically, but they've never actually given themselves to the Lord, it's it's a problem, right? Um, Number two, God saves and satisfies overcomers who believe and feed on him. God saves and satisfies, totally satisfies overcomers who believe and feed on him. Um, What is the blessing? How secure is it? How full is it? It's totally secure, it's totally full forever. Believe in Jesus. Believe in the Lord. Um, Look at this back to 3410. The young lions, the young lions suffer want and hunger, but those who seek the Lord shall lack no good thing. The term there, you got it? Shall lack. Okay. The, The term there, haser is the same term in a psalm I guarantee you know. And it's right in the middle of book one. The Lord is my shepherd. This is Psalm 23 verse one, okay? I've got it up here for you too, yeah. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Lo exar. okay, same term. I will not want, I will lack for nothing. Well, why is that, God? You make me lie down in green pastures. You lead me beside still waters. You prepare a table, a banquet table before me, even in the presence of my enemies. Speaking of David, right? My cup gets a little drop and that's all I want or need. No, my cup overflows, runneth over. That's how sure This banquet and faith in the Lord is, which brings us to number three, Christ's cross, covenant and communion for all who feast on him. If you will feast on him. okay, it's done in Jesus. It's totally fulfilled. Now, speaking of fulfillment, notice this towards the end of Psalm 34. I mean, the last several verses. It's incredible prophecy, looking back and also remembering in a way, you know, God's beyond time. Right. So it's like remembering too. Many are their afflictions, just picking up at verse 19. Forget if I have this. Yeah, I've got that up for for you too. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. He keeps all his bones, not one of them is broken. Do y'all see that? Okay, let me take you back. Exodus twelve, forty six, the Passover lamb, the Passover lamb, his bones cannot be broken. That's a regulation under the Passover. That is a prophetic regulation under the Passover. You get to John chapter 19. And what does John specifically tell us? What's implied with all the other gospel writers? You remember how they don't break Jesus's legs because he's already dead? They put the spear in him. OK, you remember that? He's dead. John tells us, John 19, 36. For these things took place that the scripture might be fulfilled. Not one of his bones shall be broken. David, through the spirit of God, is already talking about this in Psalm 34, a thousand years before it happens on the cross. Do you hear what I'm saying? And even long before David, the Passover regulation prophesies this, remembers this, and brings us to the table of the Lord. So Paul says in 1 Corinthians 5, Christ... Our Passover lamb. Who's the real Passover lamb that we're supposed to feast on who saves us? Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Therefore, let us celebrate the feast. Back to Psalm 34. The final verse of this psalm is awesome. The Lord redeems the life, literally the soul, the nefesh, of his servants. Not one of those who take refuge in him will be condemned. And that's talking about like at the judgment. That's not talking about in Philistia. That's talking about at the judgment. If you take refuge in him, he will uphold you into eternity. Jesus says this, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats this bread, he will live forever. I... And and the bread I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. Now, Jesus is not talking about literally eating him. He's talking about a spiritual participation, right? A communion with him. And the flesh that he lays down on the cross is his own flesh for our salvation. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. And I will raise him up. I, I guarantee it. I will raise him up, Jesus says, on the last day because of what this means and the whole story means. So, again... His cross, his covenant, and his communion for all who feast on him. And his command is this, as we come to his table today, do this in remembrance of me. In remembrance of me, come and take, come and feast in faith. 1 Corinthians 10, 16 and 17. The cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a participation, koinonia, communion? in the blood of christ the bread that we break is it not a communion a participation a koinonia in the body of christ in other words we are taking of jesus not literally now not like what the people who accused the early christians of being cannibals thought and not what weird or let's just say unfortunately directed medieval theology developed on you know transubstantiation we're not literally taking the flesh or the blood But we are participating fully in Christ by His grace through the Spirit as we come and feast in faith. Because there is one bread, and we who are many are one body. For we all partake of one bread. We partake, taste, and see that the Lord is good. I invite you today, come to the Lord. I invite you this week, come to the Lord. Taste and see that He's good. Sing His praises. Share in the fullness of what He has for you. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, now and forever. Amen.